Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Dr. John Gartner. He's a psychologist, professor at John Hopkins University, author, editor of numerous books, and the founder of an organization called Duty to Warn. Thank you for joining us this morning, Dr. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've I've been going through some of your books, and I did watch Unfit, and it just really piqued my interest about, is there a common thread yeah. between leaders, the people who feel a need to, you know, get into the public eye mm-hmm. like that? Well, uh, Trump is cut from a certain cloth. Uh, it was first identified by a famous psychoanalyst uh, who himself, uh, Eric Fromm, who himself escaped the Nazis and tried to understand the psychology of these kinds of deadly, maniacal leaders. And he came up with a diagnosis called malignant narcissism. And malignant narcissism has four components, narcissism, of course, but also paranoia, all of Trump's conspiracy theories, his constant feeling that he's being uh, victimized, uh, antisocial personality disorder, and there's people who lie uh, and break laws and exploit and violate the rights of others and feel no guilt about it, and finally, sadism, people who really take pleasure in harming or humiliating uh, other people. That, those, that personality characteristic is common in, in people like Hitler, Saddam Hussein, um, a whole series of ma- maniacal leaders. But it's an, this type of leadership is very destructive uh, to any country, and uh, they're, they're very dangerous. So is something like this something that can be cured? Is there, you know, any type of a treatment? That's an excellent question. It's actually such a severe personality disorder that it's considered uncurable and untreatable. Uh, My mentor, uh, Otto Kernberg, is the most famous person in this particular diagnosis. Uh, And his advice to us as therapists is we realize a patient has malignant narcissism, uh, discontinue the treatment and run away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's stay safe <laughs> so yeah that makes sense um tell our listeners about yeah your organization duty to warn because i think well, it's fascinating we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the gold water rule and i don't think that would yeah. even apply today with all the social media and everything available well, uh, you know, it, it happened very spontaneously. Uh, I put a petition uh, uh, saying that for mental health professionals online, saying that Trump should be removed because he was unfit. And this was actually very soon after the inauguration. And we got 75,000 signatures. It was supposed to be just for mental health professionals, but a lot of other people signed as well. But it, it helped galvanize a group of mental health professionals. We ended up editing a book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, that actually became a bestseller, which as an author to me is quite shocking because it's very rare for professional books to become bestsellers, but it's almost unheard of for an edited book to become a bestseller. But it was a bestseller because it, it basically addressed a gap that was there in the public's imagination. There was a vacuum. They wanted to understand. They knew there was something wrong with this guy, but nobody was talking about it. No one was right. explaining it to them because of the Goldwater Rule. Um, the Goldwater Rule, which most of your listeners probably haven't heard of, and they, they can be forgiven for that. It's pretty obscure. Uh, it was, a, But actually, uh, Arizona had a place in this uh, origin. Uh, when Barry Goldwater was running for president, uh, there was a magazine, now defunct, called Fact Magazine, that published an article saying that Barry Goldwater was uh, emotionally unstable, according to uh, the opinion of psychiatrists. They'd taken some kind of poll of psychiatrists. And um, uh, Barry Goldwater sued them. Uh, and he won the suit, uh, claiming that it was defamation of character. Uh, as a matter of fact, even though Barry Golder was not emotionally unstable, just that's important actually to add. Um, and, uh, and the magazine also did not even report the results, honestly. But it embarrassed the American Psychiatric Association, and so they established a rule saying you shouldn't be diagnosing um, uh, public figures unless you've interviewed them yourself and gotten their permission. Um, actually, I interviewed the last living person who was on that ethics committee that made that choice. And what he explained to me, and this was consistent with my understanding, is the Goldwater Rule originally was not meant to be a gag order on all mental health professionals, on all public figures. 
In, in the case of the Goldwater situation, this is before we had the DSM-3. You've probably heard of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that has all of our diagnoses. Right. What the, big, the big innovation of the DSM-3 is that it operationalized um, all of the diagnoses. and It made, created observable behaviors that you could observe and that people could reliably form diagnoses on. Before that, diagnosis was kind of in the hands of the psychoanalysts. So the people that were writing it about Barry Goldwater were saying he was a, a latent homosexual or he was in love with his mother or um, he had the, you know potty issue training. So it was very speculative. And that was part of what embarrassed the American Psychoanalyst, the Psychiatric Association. Nowadays, you know, it's very easy if you want to ask me, does Donald Trump meet the criteria for antisocial personality disorder? Well, let's see. The first criteria is frequently lies. Okay. Donald Trump's the most documented liar in human history. Prove me wrong. Show me one other person in all of recorded human history who's told more lies than Donald Trump. So it's not hard to check the boxes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those are very clear, observable behaviors. So we felt, um, number one, that now with the DSM, we certainly have the basis for making a credible diagnosis. But more importantly, uh, there was a moral issue here, which is that we saw him as a danger to the population. And now we know, of course, much better what a danger he was. And it was because of our psychological understanding that we were able to see in advance just how dangerous and destructive he could be. And there is a principle in our field called the duty to warn, hence the name of our movement, that, for example, if you think a patient of yours might harm somebody, you have a duty to call that person and warn them uh, based on the case of someone who didn't do that and then someone who got killed. Um, so we felt like if you have a duty to warn one person because they might be in danger, what about 300 million people? So we felt that we had an ethical duty to warn and that we could not be silent. Even if it was breaking the law, we would do it anyway because there is a higher law. Does the duty to warn uh, apply to people outside of the, your industry of psychiatrists? Do, shouldn't people, if they see something and they feel this is, you know... Right, like the, like the law enforcement tells us, if you see something, say, say something, something, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think at some level it's basically a human responsibility. You know what I mean? Uh, when they, they always say, when people talk about the Holocaust, and the Holocaust very much informed my uh, view of this situation and what I felt ethically I was required to do, is that, you know, that people describe the Holocaust as one-third of the nation being murdered by another third of the nation while another third of the nation stands by and does nothing. Uh, when there is a rising fascism, when there is a rising tyrant, to do nothing is to do something wrong. Yeah, you're part of it. You're part of it. Exactly. I liked your analogy about the the chimpanzees. Can you explain to yeah. our listeners how that that worked? Because once you got to that portion in in the um, in the video, your documentary, it was like, oh, I, I get it. I understand what he's saying. Can you explain that to our listeners? I'm I'm, I'm glad you liked that part. I didn't know if they were going to put that in the film. Um, So it's very interesting. When I was uh, doing research for one of my other books, um, you know, we think of human beings as being the only species that commits murder, but that's actually not true. We're most closely related to chimpanzees. We show 98% of their DNA. And chimpanzees are normally, you know, when we think of chimpanzees, we think of, um, you know, those uh, wonderful pictures of people being in the colony and them being so human and being so uh, relatable, and they are. Uh, and within the, within the group, you do know about dominance behavior, right, how the alpha males will compete with each other, but they don't actually hurt each other. So they beat their chests and they throw you know, rocks up in the air and they, and they pound the ground to try to beat dominant to lead the troop. But nobody actually gets hurt. They call it display behavior. But then what they discovered later is that when there's two troops, in this case, the troop was so big that it, it, it split into two, now they're competing groups. Now you're observing between group behavior. And what happens is one alpha male gets very excited and whips the other males into a frenzy and leads them to the other territory where they systematically, one at a time, kill the males of the other troop until they're able to take over their territory and their females. So basically... If you're a chimpanzee, you really have two choices. Either you follow your alpha leader to basically destroy the other group, or it'll be done to you. And when we talk about tribalism and how uh, a demagogue, right, what a demagogue does is he activates that 
early chimpanzee brain uh, and makes people feel like, hey, we're under attack by the other group. And so if we don't strike back, we're going to be destroyed. And once you activate that programming, almost anything you do, um, any war crime you commit to the other side is justifiable because it's in self-defense. And that's what a demagogue does. He splits a society apart. So Hitler did it with the Jews. Um, Milosevic did it with the Serbs, you know, with the, uh, with the Muslims. Um, you have a, a society where different minorities are integrated, and then you say, no, this minority is actually attacking us. They're trying to destroy us. And unless we destroy them, we will be destroyed. And so that tribalistic uh, message resonates with our very primitive programming, and that's how these types of leaders are essentially able to exploit that vulnerability in our programming, as it were, to seize power. Did you see, I know you wrote a book about Bill Clinton. Were any of these characteristics in, observed in Bill Clinton? He didn't have this personality type. Um, he did have narcissism, of course. One of the things that was, I think, the most revealing about my research, Bill Clinton, is that I think he has hypomania, which is a mildly manic temperament that explains a lot of his behavior. But we see that mildly manic temperament in um, leaders uh, in business in particular, but in all kinds of areas, including politics. These are people who have an extraordinary amount of energy and confidence and charisma and creativity um, and they inspire people but they also have problems with impulsivity they, they have trouble controlling their impulses of course he had trouble controlling his sexual impulses famously but he had trouble controlling other impulses too he would lose his temper he would overeat he would uh, he sort of had ADD. he had trouble he would schedule three things for the same time and get them all confused so um he really had a lot of strengths from his hypomania, but he also had a lot of weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Are there any presidents or politicians in the past that you can think of? I always wondered about Lyndon Johnson, LBJ. <laughs> mm-hmm. like... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, LBJ was also very uh, narcissistic, and um, he I believe he was also hypomanic. He was also hypersexual, um, and, uh, you know, he was obviously, we you know, he could be very aggressive uh, and he certainly knew how to use power. But I don't think we have ever in the country had any president that had, of, of any party, of any political stripe, of any ideological belief. I, this transcends ideology. This isn't about policy. Uh, we have been blessed in this country never to have had a, you know, a Hitler or a Mussolini type leader before. Uh, but we have now. Okay, we've we've got a caller that wants to know how can you diagnose somebody without actually seeing him, visiting him. Well, and I know right. you. Well, actually, we've all seen him. Uh, he's been we've been observing his behavior now for years. I often say I know more about Donald Trump than I do about my own patients because I've spent more time observing him, observing his behavior, and also reading the reports of other people who have observed his behavior. In psychiatry, we do take uh, as valid uh, information, information from informants. So if a patient's brought to the hospital, we will talk to the mother, the father, the husband, the sister, right, to learn things about their behavior. Well, we now have dozens of memoirs from people that served in the Trump administration that are essentially um, reinforcing what we already observed for ourselves. We now know that, you know, though duty to warn may have called for the invocation of the 25th Amendment in uh, 2017, uh, in 2021 and 2022, members of his own cabinet were discussing invoking the 25th Amendment. So uh, the people who knew him the best and observed him the most closely saw these destructive behaviors that we were also able to observe in the media. Yeah, I don't think I've ever um, experienced any one politician having so many books written about him. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. just pretty amazing. But... They're all bad. I mean, not the books are bad. I mean, they're all, all the information is everything we learn just reinforces our, our worst fears. What about the people who, you know, they're, they're doing this committee um, in the, the mm-hmm. hearings, and there are people yeah. who just flat refuse to even watch it. What's right. up with that type of follower? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, our, we have another film coming out uh, called Un- Hashtag Untruth, and it's about the phenomena that you're talking about. About a third of this country is brainwashed, and, and I use that um, literally as a technical term. Uh, we have propaganda works. 
Uh, and propaganda pumped through social media and through um, you know, organs like Fox News, basically a third of the country could be convinced that the moon is made of green cheese. It isn't? Have Tucker Carlson said <laughs> enough times. <laughs> we'll talk after the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the problem, which is that propaganda is, in, is extraordinarily powerful. And this is actually, I think, the greatest threat to American democracy of of anything, more than any one man or one party, that having perfected propaganda, it means that you can control a third of the population. If you can control their minds and control what reality is for them, then you can seize political power. Wow. This is this is pretty impressive. I always categorize, you know, this is before presidency or anything. I remember years ago I watched the first time I ever saw Donald Trump was on either Carson or Letterman, and he came on as a substitute because the guest didn't show up and he was down the street, and he was always willing to talk about himself, and I think it was Johnny Carson who said he's always willing to talk about himself, so he comes on and entertains, (laughs) and after the show, I was just like, my God, he's such a pompous ass, but, you know, nothing's (laughs) changed, but I always categorized him like, um, you know, business-wise as a a Bernie Madoff and yeah. socially yeah. as a Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. And I kind of put them yeah. in those categories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, uh, you know, every one of his businesses has failed. Uh, but the other thing is he's one of those people that would rather be crooked than honest. It's, you know, uh, like he'll tell a lie when the truth will do. Uh, you know, it makes me laugh when people are saying, well, how can we, you know, prove Donald Trump's criminal intent? You know, well, first of all, we have scads and scads of evidence, but I don't think he's ever had an intent that wasn't criminal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, how does he compare, you know, you're talking about Hitler, and I know you said you'd never stop comparing him to Hitler, and... How about Putin? I always thought he wanted Putin's um, approval because of the way he behaved in front of sure. Putin. And Mussolini, sure. how about these other leaders? How does well, he? Um, I think Putin. Is, well, yes, and I would put Putin in that category uh, as well. Although I think with Putin, it's a special case because he more than wanted Putin's approval. He had been. He had really been part of the Russian mob before he ran for president, and Putin really was part of the team that got him to run. I mean, this is a true uh, Manchurian candidate situation. Um, He had been trying to get Putin's approval, trying to get a Moscow, uh, get a a Trump Tower in Moscow, uh, and he'd been laundering money for the Russians. I mean, why do you think Russia, why do you think half of the apartments in Trump Tower are, you know, had been sold to Russians at exorbitant prices? Because buying real estate's a great way to launder money. Uh, so the problem is he was already in the Russian mob when he ran for president. And every single thing that he has done has been what a Putin puppet would do, uh, including the way he embarrassed himself at Helsinki, which I think is part of what you're referring to. But, you know, trying to stop sanctions, uh, bringing them to the Oval Office. Uh, Lord knows, you know, wanting to have a joint cybersecurity team with them when they're the ones who are hacking our cybersecurity. I mean, we could go on. But I think it's really important to see that the fact that they were able to cover this up and say Russia hoax, Russia hoax. I mean, we're not just talking about being above the law or committing a crime. We're talking about a president committing treason, a president working for the enemy. This is the greatest crime in the history of the United States, and they managed to cover it up. Do you think anything will happen? as far as, uh, you know, the DOJ? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, first of all, Fannie Willis is going to indict him first <laughs> because she, in Georgia, she has been um, uh, serious about this from the very beginning. I've been very, very uh, shaky on Merrick Garland. Uh, you know, I think he's a little too close to the Federalist Society. But I think that the January 6th committee, frankly, has embarrassed him to the point where now he has to play catch-up because if he doesn't start investigating these people, it looks like he's actually complicit. So would he have gotten there anyway on his own? I'm actually skeptical, but now I'm hopeful that, um, that he will do the right thing. I think if they don't do something, they've created a slippery slope that you know anybody coming yeah. in afterwards yeah. can really exactly. do their own thing. And that's kind of scary too. 
You know, we've and got coup, we've got if an attempted coup is uh, is is allowed, then then everybody's going to be doing it. <laughs> exactly. Then then people know it's uh, you can get away with it. So, do you think the Twenty Fifth Amendment should have been used? Actually, yes. I mean, I think that he actually met the criteria. He was unfit to carry out the duties of president of president of the presidency because of his uh, mental disorder. Um, his personality disorder, and you know, he also had some hypomania and some ADD, but that malignant narcissism rendered him unfit. And of course, at first, it might not have seemed obvious. We saw it because we understood the implications of that diagnostic category. We knew that someone who was that twisted in that way would have to wreak havoc with our country. But as it became to pass and people began to see it, it became more and more apparent Apparently, hashtag 25 was a common um, hashtag among White House employees all through his presidency. It was like <laughs> an inside joke. I didn't know that. Why do you think Mike yeah. Pence didn't do it? Would, wouldn't he be the one to invoke it? Why didn't he do it? Um, well, because he's a principalist chicken. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, you know, but I want to, being a Pence basher, I do want to give him credit for what he did on January 6th. A lot of people don't want to give him credit because they don't like Mike Pence, and I understand that. But it would have been, when you realize from the January 6th hearings how much pressure he was under, yeah. I mean, Trump really threatened him. You know, I, I love the, the language he uses. He really talks like a mob boss. He goes, you know, if you don't do this, I'm not going to be so we're not going to be friends anymore. You know, <laughs> uh, that's the way a mob boss talks. When he's like going to put a hit on you, and he really put a hit on, on, on Pence. No, I uh, think know, what he did was pretty... He was interest of killing him. Yeah, I think what he did was pretty brave. And the fact that he didn't want to leave the area to give everybody right. the satisfaction, that was that was pretty remarkable. So hats yeah, off that to That would have been Mike very Pence. easy for him to do, right? And Absolutely. everyone got in the, in the car but him. And, and then they all had to get out because he refused. So I want to give him credit for that. Yeah, no doubt. So... Why do you think so many politicians are afraid of Trump? I mean, they'll they'll say, in one one respect, they'll say, "Oh, we're not going to vote to impeach him," and then five minutes later, they're at a microphone saying, "You know, what he did was wrong." Well, and then two weeks later or two days later, they're at the yeah. Mar-a-Lago kissing butt. I don't get it. Well, you know, Machiavelli said it's better to be feared than loved. <laughs> okay. So why 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 are they afraid of him? Because he likes to make fun of people. Well, because well, I don't I don't think they're that uh, lame. But because uh, his attacks then uh, will sick the voters on them. Uh, they'll lose it. They'll be called rhinos. They'll be primaried, uh, and they'll lose their offices. Uh, so they're um, they're being selfish, you know, and being careerist. And putting their own, not only putting party above country, they're putting their own career above country. Because Trump does have the power still in the Republican Party to torpedo you. Yeah, that's too bad. I I just, you know, there are some things that I just don't pay attention to as far as stuff like that. I'm going to make my own decision. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about term limits and uh, the um, Supreme Court. We're going to talk about everything. Hang in there. Were you in the area of the 4400 block of South 7th Avenue? at 10 p.m. on July 23rd, 2021. If you have security cameras, you just might have a tip that will help solve the murder that took place there. To stay anonymous, use 88 Crime and upload your video. Si estabas o tienes cámaras de seguridad en la área de 4400 Sur de la 7 Avenida a las 10 de la tarde, 23 de julio de 2021, es posible que tengas información que resuelva el homicidio que tuvo lugar ahí. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Dr. John Gartner, psychologist, professor at John Hopkins University, He's an author and an editor of numerous books, and the founder of the organization called Duty to Warn. 
this is actually voting season. I don't know. It's I guess it's different in every state, but right now people are are voting. What should people look for and listen for when they're thinking of uh, somebody to put into office, any office? Well, I think right now um, it's pretty well known that democracy is really on life support. Uh, What changed with Trump, and this is really could be a fatal change for our country, is uh, now one party is not really committed to democracy anymore. I think what's happened is the Republican Party has come to the conclusion that because of the demographic changes in our country, young people who are liberal coming into the voting pool, uh, immigrants and brown people becoming a larger portion of the population, that demographically a party that tries to be play identity politics for white Christian nationalism is going to have a very a minority appeal. Therefore, the only way they can win is to cheat. So Therefore, they need to destroy uh, uh, or manipulate uh, democracy in order to maintain power because they can't win a fair fight. I heard I read yesterday or the day before that um, they actually are creating a third party. Did you see that? I'd heard about that, that Andrew Yang is talking about creating a third party. I don't know that much about his efforts or how successful it will be or whether it's going to draw more Democratic voters or Republican voters. I, it, it, third parties traditionally have had a very bad effect. <laughs> true, true. Uh, but um, so I'm a little bit anxious about it, but I don't know that much about how it's going to play out. How do you think, and we're talking both parties, uh, Democrats and Republicans, how do you think they've yeah. changed over the years? Because I remember, and I was visiting with a friend uh, last week, we were in Pine Top and, and talking about how things used to be politically. You'd have um, yeah. your representatives would come in, in, you know, in Chicago, it was Bug House Square. They'd come in, and both sides would be there, and they'd talk, what are the issues, what do you need? And they'd work it out. They'd work it out so that there's a, a solution mm-hmm. to whatever the problem is. But now it's right. like, you know, they draw a line in the sand and say, don't cross that sand. They act like gang members, you know, the Bloods and yeah. the Crips. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And, and you know, people like me and you who are old enough to remember how it used to be, it's really quite sad because, yes, the parties were competitors, but they had a joint interest in the success of the country. Exactly. Right. So, so in other words, you say, you know, politics ends at the water's edge, meaning that, you know, when we're facing foreign foreign powers, you know, we have to stick together as one nation. Or the idea that when a president of the other party won election, you know, we all try to come together to make that person's presidency successful. Exactly. Um, because if that president is successful, our country is successful. And um, even if we didn't vote for them, we still want them to succeed. Now it's a death match. If if the president, you know, if the Democratic president is for a policy, even if it's like giving, you know, medical care to veterans. <laughs> right. Exactly. If, if, if Biden is for it, I'm again it, you know. <laughs> and that's that's really sad. That whole yeah. philosophy that, you know, it's it's us against you. And how do you think we can fix this? Put new people in office? <laughs> well, I feel, and it's interesting that this is, you know, show dedicated to law enforcement, until we really have accountability, until the people that committed these crimes, and it's a, really a large group, uh, until they are criminally held accountable, um, we're not going to have a, a cleanse. We're not going to have a purge. In fact, what we just said, it's actually reinforcing uh, the criminal behavior and saying, no, do it, do it more and next time do it better. Um, you know, and, and this is very wide and very deep. Um, you know, for example, What's in the, in the the breaking news of this morning is that we find out that Joseph Kufari, uh, who some of you in Arizona may know, he used to be an advisor to Doug Ducey, uh, you know, Trump fired five inspector generals, six inspector generals in five weeks and replaced them all with partisan flunkies in order to decapitate the oversight uh, of what he was doing. So, you know, we know that Kufari, we know that the Secret Service, quote, lost the text right, of what took place on January 5th and January 6th. Kufari was the new inspector general, you know, uh, in place, the partisan one. Uh, He didn't get those uh, texts. Uh, Then he didn't tell Congress that he didn't get them. And now we just found out that there had been an attempt to recover the uh, old texts immediately after they were erased, and he um, countermanded that order. So Joseph Kufari 
is part of the cover-up. He is part of the insurrection. And that's what Donald Trump did. He put loyalists in place at key places in the government who would actually support his attempt to overthrow the government. And these people are still in government. Joseph Kufari still has a job. In my view, he should be fired, he should be investigated, and ultimately he should be prosecuted. Yeah, I think um, the number was like almost 500 people went through the White House system under Trump. And, you know, if you didn't declare your loyalty to him, not the Constitution, Mm -hmm. you're out the door. And I just found that so remarkable. You didn't know, you know, in the morning somebody would have a job by noon. They were they were gone. (laughs) Yep. Crazy. Well, and, and well, and the amount of turnover in his administration was unheard of. Uh, unprecedented, but it's very precedented for autocratic regimes. You know, um, Stalin or, you know, (laughs) Stalin had like 20, you know, ministers of defense. And, you know, every time he'd get suspicious of one, he'd have them murdered. You know, so it's like the joke was, who wants to be the 18th minister of defense? Yeah, not me. But he killed the first 17. (laughs) But in other words, what happens with these autocratic movements is people who have integrity, people who have expertise eventually will come into some sort of conflict with the leader, right? They'll have to say no at some point, or that's crazy, or that'll be destructive, and then they're eliminated. And so, um, you know, I wasn't that uh, fond of the first Secretary of State, um, his name, another one that was friendly with Russia, the Exxon guy, but then he was gotten rid of, and we get Pompeo, you know, so we, who, will, who will, you know, I think say or do anything. And so what happens is, if you're not sufficiently corrupt to be malleable by the leader, then you will be eliminated. And and they keep going through people until he really gets like a concentrate, right, of the most corrupt uh, people, and those are the ones who remain. And that's just a a normal progression for an autocratic uh, movement. So there was some normalcy here. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It was normally abnormal, right? It was following the normal steps of abnormality, right? (laughs) What about Rudy Giuliani? He used to be, you know, like the... the, the, I know. What happened? And now he can't even practice law. Yeah, I grew up in New York. I I remember uh, liking Rudy Giuliani, uh, America's mayor. Uh, If you grew up in New York like I did, you you grew up in a lot of crime. You know, I, I, I grew up in the fear of crime. You know, I was robbed many times. My family was robbed. Uh, so when Giuliani came in and cleaned things up, I really appreciated it. But one of the things about Trump is he corrupts everyone and everything that he touches. You know, Rick Wilson wrote this great book called Everything That Trump Touches Dies. And <laughs> it, it's <laughs> and so, you know, t- people are intoxicated by power and they they tell themselves stories to justify a deal with the devil. And then, you know, once you've made a deal with the devil, you know, you're all in and you're kind of stuck. So I'm not feeling sorry for Rudy Giuliani, but I think at some point he sold his integrity for, you know, power and, and, and fame and money. And, uh, uh, and once you, once, you know, once you're with the mob, you can't say, well, I'll commit that crime, but I won't commit that other crime. Uh, if you're in, you're in. Yeah. You have no choice. What about, a, I can't think Cohen, his other attorney who did go to yeah. prison. Right. What, you know, you know I feel sorry yeah, for him yeah, too, yeah. in a way. Yeah. He, we've actually been in contact with him a little bit. You know, can someone explain to me how Michael Cohen goes to jail because he committed a crime at the direction and for the benefit of individual one, exact quote, but individual one goes scot-free. I, I don't understand that. He was just the bag man. Yeah. They, you know, doing yeah. Trump's will. El Capone, you know, all the the mob leaders, they were held accountable. Well, not all of them, but they were held accountable because it was at their direction. Right, right. So I don't get the disconnect there. And part of the problem is, you know, we have America has ADD, right? Our our attention span is very limited. But also Trump is such a one man crime spree that it's impossible to actually keep all of his crimes in your mind at one time. So (laughs) he's so busy criming that we forget about 10 crimes ago, you know, like, oh, yeah, Michael Cohen. Right. Yeah. What happened with that? Yeah, (laughs) it's true. What about the people on the Supreme Court? I mean, there's been a lot of talk lately with things that are going on there and how they got there. You know, I Mm -hmm. I always thought if you lied to the Senate, that was a felony and, you know, you were going to be held accountable for that. Apparently not. (laughs) 
No, no, actually, apparently lying is a very smart strategy because then it's like, nah, 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 now you can't touch me. <laughs> and true. <laughs> so, but, it, you know, the, the, again, you know, the lying is part of a larger scheme. Okay, which is that uh, the Federalist Society, you know, has been had a 20 year, you know, uh, alliance with uh, the, the conservatives to pack the Supreme Court with their people, with their operatives. Uh, and we know that the process was corrupt by which they were you know, chosen, uh, both the fact that they lied. Let's start there about Roe v. Wade and about their view of precedent, which we now realize they don't care about at all. Um, but also, uh, you know, the fact that. The, the investigation of Kavanaugh was a joke. You know, first we discovered he had uh, pro- most probably committed all of these sexual crimes, um, and they weren't going to investigate him. And finally, Susan Collins makes a big show of, yes, he must be investigated, but the FBI has given very strict limitations as to what they can investigate. They never even interviewed people who were on the TV saying, yes, I saw him do this, or he did this. Uh, but the, the FBI interviewed you. No, they've never come. I called them. They won't call me back. You know, so that was a, a, a sham investigation, you know, by uh, Christopher Ray, also a member of the Federalist Society. Um, so there's that. But also, if you knew more about the history of these people, you would be a little aghast. Uh, I mean, Annie Coney Barrett isn't just religious. She's part of a religious cult called People of Praise. And people say she's going to bring the handmaid's tale. She actually is a handmaid. In her, in her cult, uh, she is, she has the title of handmaid <laughs> and she has to obey the, the, the leader, et cetera. Um, so she's, you know, off in that ether. And Brett Kavanaugh, actually, in addition to his you know, being harmful to women, what people don't realize is he's been a stone cold political operative, not a jurist uh, for most of his life. Uh, you and I, again, are old enough to remember the Clinton investigation. Remember reading in the New York Times and Washington Post every single day, it seemed like, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to be indicted any day now, according to a source close to the investigation. Right. The source close to the investigation was Brett Kavanaugh. Um, I learned that from doing my biography of Bill Clinton. He um, had the role of, you know, we were praising Mueller and praising um, you know, Garland for not leaking. Well, uh, Ken Starr uh, put Kavanaugh in charge of leaking. <laughs> it oh, was wow. his job to leak to the press. Uh, and he did it on a daily basis. Um, and what's even funnier is not only did he leak to the press, but what he leaked to the press was misinformation. So that source close to the investigation was Brett Kavanaugh, who was telling them things that were actually not true. Because guess what? Hillary Clinton wasn't indicted, was she? No. No, they couldn't find her. <laughs> and anything. they had nothing to indict her for. Right. What about Thomas? I always thought Thomas say. shouldn't be there yeah. because he was he was no. accused of sexual misconduct as well. And I thought, why why are right. you putting him on? And, you know, you look at the man, and he looks like he could chew nails and spit out tacks. He always looks angry. And Yes, well, he is an angry, aggrieved person. Yes, absolutely. He's even said that, that part of the reason he wanted to take this job was to, you know, get revenge on the liberals who had harmed him in some way. But, look, the situation with Ginny Thomas is really, really serious. Yes, it is. Ginny Thomas is part of the conspiracy. She's part of the attempted coup. She was actually played a relatively important role. You know, we have texts between her and John Eastman, who's the guy who came up with the, you know, false electors plan. We have, you know, she was in touch with Richard Clark, who was supposed to be the uh, the, the sort of fake attorney general who was willing to uh, say the election was stolen. And that's why Trump wanted to replace the acting attorney general Rosen with uh, Jeff Clark, and only when the entire just leadership of the Justice Department, they would they would literally quit and moss, including all the assistant and deputy attorney generals. Did he not do that? And she was involved in you know pressuring uh, state representatives to send the false electors. She was uh, texting Mark Meadows saying uh, you know fight for Trump. Uh, we've got to win the election for him after it was settled. So so Ginny Thomas. Also should be in jail. Ginny Thomas was part of a conspiracy to overthrow the government of the United States. I mean, we have gone from being the strongest, most uh, deepest uh, expression of democracy in human history to a banana republic in just yeah. a few years. That's how deep the corruption ha- has gone. And, that, and so quickly. And it's, it's sad, but yeah, so quickly. And that's actually not the first time... Um, Thomas has been involved with something that there was a conflict of interest and he didn't care. Right, right. And, you know, he and his wife, and you can't say his wife isn't part of the Supreme Court because obviously there's things going on there. But 
So what do people yeah, allegedly they don't allegedly they don't talk about politics, even though they're best friends and spouses. Right. Yeah, right. You, do you believe that? Not for a second. So so when people are voting and I'm talking any any, you know, from the county recorder's office up to the presidency, yeah. What kind of, I always tell people, do your due diligence before you vote. Yeah. Don't just vote a straight ticket because you could be putting somebody in office who really doesn't deserve to be there. But if all you have is, you know, Wikipedia and what's going on in the news, how do you discern who is good to represent the country and, and not themselves? Well, look, I think there are. I think there are, it sounds like a funny place to start, but I, I think there are Republicans with integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are good Republican candidates. But as a party, they seem to have sided with autocracy. Uh, as a party, they seem to have taken, I mean, if, if they had impeached Trump, for example, you know, and said, okay, you know, this is what the Republicans did with Nixon, right? The Republicans uh, backed Nixon until it was really shown, you know, that, okay, he really had obstructed justice and that it was, it was on tape. Then they went to his office and said, look, sir, you need to resign. If you don't, we're going to impeach you. Because they, they, they cared about the integrity of the country, and they cared about the integrity of the democracy more than just supporting their guy. But, but um, Nixon was a smart man. He, he, he could think. <laughs> he I didn't agree. react so much. No, I mean, Nixon actually was much smarter than Trump, and I think he had much more integrity than Trump. Uh, and part of his willing his willingness to leave was actually for the benefit of the country. Yes. Uh, and actually, in his first election, he may, he may have had the election stolen from him. We don't know if Kennedy really won, but he knew it would be damaging to the country to 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 say the election was bogus. So he uh, accepted the results. So really, Nixon was not a disbeliever in democracy. You know, what I mean, Nixon did care about uh, our democracy and about our way of life. Uh, he had a lot of views that I think, uh, you know, are wrong, you know, like the war on drugs. And he was someone who did have a lot, a certain lack of integrity. There was sort of a criminal streak to him. You know, after all, he did approve a break-in of the Democratic headquarters. That was um, so but, remarkable. So remarkable. But, you know, it was like he had a crooked streak, but, you know, he wasn't crooked from the tip of his toe to the, you know, ends of his hair the way uh, uh, Trump is. And in the end, the party rejected him and purged itself, cleansed itself. And in that sense, everyone felt like, hey, you know what? The system works. The system, system works. Held. What about Kennedy? Yeah. And You brought up Kennedy, and, you know, yeah. I've kind of wondered about him, too. He's obviously a narcissist, um, but... Yeah, well, also we've learned he was a much he was a much more um, uh, sexually abusive person uh, than we uh, ever realized. Um, you know, we, we certainly know all about Bill Clinton, but actually, uh, there's a, a intern from the White House who actually claims that he raped her, uh, and that he, he's very she, she's very convincing. Uh, so, you know, uh, look, a lot of these people have feet of clay, in, or a lot of these people have character flaws. Right. Maybe it's true that people who are able to get to this level of power have to have some degree of ruthlessness or narcissism or um, hypomania. Um, None of them are perfect, Um, but we've just had a perfect villain. You know, we've had like a Batman villain. You know, it's like the Joker was president. (laughs) (laughs) And he was referred to as the Joker many times. So that's that's pretty sad. What about people? Because you you still have, and I I remember in the hearing they they had Steve Bannon come in, and he's he's just adamant they're not going to you know keep me quiet about what he spews. He, I guess he's got a podcast, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's a white supremacist, and he claims right. that you know that's out of his mouth, not mine. So what about mm-hmm. people like that? Mm-hmm. They're just going to keep on, keep on. Well, yeah, and that's why I think the prosecution is so important. Of course, he's been found guilty. He hasn't been sentenced yet uh, for contempt of Congress. Uh, I think anyone who refuses to talk to Congress should 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 be jailed. Uh, if you refuse to show up to court for a traffic ticket, they'll they'll they'll, they'll put you in jail for contempt of court, right? So sure. if you refuse to talk to Congress. Uh, and the entire Congress votes for contempt, then there should be criminal penalties. But 
so far, these people keep getting away with it, keep shooting off their mouth, right? Keep, you know, grifting and raising money uh, off of these, uh, you know, phony grievances uh, and, you know, enjoying fame and fortune uh, as, uh, as these uh, um, insurrectionists and without paying any price. Uh, and that's got to change. Uh, and that's really one of my criticisms of Merrick Garland, even if he eventually does do the right thing. Justice delayed is democracy denied yes. because every day that these people are out there hawking their wares and hawking their lies is a day that we're um, falling backwards. I don't think people realize that when uh, Trump won the one and he was running for president, he applied for, I think it was over 200 trademarks and he was awarded 20 something so every time they buy a sticker, you know, or contribute, you're supporting him. And I, I right. thought for a while there, I was thinking, you know, well, he wants to prolong this because the longer he can prolong anything that's happening, he's making money hand over fist because Absolutely. all these people are buying well, flags yeah. and bumper stickers and hats and yada, yada. And, you know, you're helping him get out of debt. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just going straight into his pocket. Uh, I, I mean, uh, there was a, a recent article about this that, that some, like tens of millions of dollars have gone to a, a you know, fund to fight for Trump or to fight to overturn the election. And it's just going in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty impressive how skewed the whole thing has become. It's too bad. Yeah. Do you think if they do do something with him and, and charge him with anything that there'll be riots in the streets? Um, maybe. Uh, so what? I, I mean, either we are a nation of laws or we're going to degenerate into an authoritarian state. It, you know, those are our choices. Uh, I prefer the first one. If that makes some people mad, so be it. Yeah, I think um, they have asked him not to run. The GOP has asked him not to run. And you know, I th I found it interesting that the the news announcement was, you know, if you run for office, we'll stop paying your legal fees. <laughs> like they're paying his legal fees, right? I was gonna say, why are they paying his legal fees in the first place? Yeah, no, he's totally. It it really is sad how the Republican Party has collapsed. You know, uh, I mean, I've been the you know, I've been a Democrat, I've been the loyal opposition, but I have res I've had respect for the Republican Party. Um, I have. Uh, people get mad at me about that. Um, but uh, I, I supported George Bush uh, in the, for the war in Iraq. Turned out to be a mistake, but I did support him. Um, you know, but I also think that these I, I believed and I think I wasn't wrong that these were people of integrity who cared about the nation who had a different different views, who, of course, had their own self-interest at heart, as we all do. But as you say, we were able to come together for the good of the country. We were able to hammer out compromises. Uh, and the system of checks and balances worked. The system of checks and balances is completely collapsing now because instead of ambition, uh, tempering ambition, as the constitutional founders uh, hoped would happen, that you know senators would want to guard their power so they would both be supporting the president of their own party, but also opposing him in some ways, trying to keep their own fiefdom and their own interests of their own state in mind. Instead, they've collapsed into a cult, yeah. a cult surrounding the most you know damaged and damaging figure that's ever existed in American politics, and they're, they've just become his abject slaves. And it's humiliating and horrifying and shocking. Yeah, we were, I think things have um, cured a little bit. Not necessarily that Joe Biden was the answer, but he was the lesser of the two yeah. evils that, during the last election. Yeah. Um, I've okay. voted for a lot of Republicans. I'm an independent, and I'm going to vote for the person, mm -hmm. not the party, and I've been doing that for decades. Mm -hmm. But it's, I hope we get some good people to run. Who do you think should run for office? Oh, <laughs> put you on know. the spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's been making me crazy <laughs> trying to answer that question. It's, it's I think it, it really uh, is kind of scary, actually, and um, could be almost a cause of despair that it doesn't seem like we have a really strong, uh, viable candidate uh, on the Democratic side. And I, I'm not saying I, I, I don't dislike Joe Biden. I, I like Joe Biden. Um, I just don't think he's a strong leader. Uh, and he's a great a representative, and you know he he's done what he he needs to do, and 
but you're right. I don't think he, and I think there should be an age limit. You know, I think there should be an he's age old, limit on. Part of it. Yeah. Well, but he's old. I mean, the truth is, he was never known to be the most brilliant person in in, in the Capitol to begin with. You know, he he was he was considered a good person. He was liked. He was respected. Um, but he wasn't um, a, 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 a huge intellect. Um, and I think the other problem with Biden is I think his in terms of his age is he's still locked into the model of politics in the 20th century that you and I were were, were reminiscing about earlier right. in the show right. and feeling sad that it, he remembers when he would go out with his, you know, the guy who beat him up on the Senate floor, but then they'd go out and have a drink and they'd kind of work it out together. That's the, the, the era he's trying to bring back. And yeah. I, I understand why he would want to do that, but he's not recognizing uh, the reality that we're in now. So, for example, the fact that he hasn't fired a Joseph Kafari, you know, he hasn't fired any uh, or, Will, or, or Louis DeJoy, any of these uh, or the guy in charge of the IRS, any of these people who have been shown to be plants who literally corrupted their office, right, to be for partisan reasons. Well, he doesn't want to fire them because he doesn't want to look partisan firing these appointees because it'll look like he's firing their political purposes. Well, at this point, if somebody is playing for the, you know, the Russians, they should be fired. Yeah. You know, never mind if, if other people are going to accuse you of partisanship. So unfortunately, I just think he's a little tone deaf to the moment right now. Yeah, I would. I'm hoping that we get a couple of good candidates on both sides and we can have a real debate and not, that you know, the the phony debates that happened. But, you know, who knows? Well, the Republicans are pulling out of the debates altogether, by the way. Oh. I don't know if you know that, but the RNC has said they will not participate in any presidential debate for 2024. <laughs> I didn't know that. It, so yeah, I they think don't want, because they don't want a debate. They don't want you to be able to hear the truth. They don't want you to be able to have an unvarnished, you know, Without, they don't want you to hear anything that doesn't go through the filter of Fox News. Well, that's pretty impressive. I didn't know that. I, I just assumed, mm-hmm. you know, debates are pretty... I like debates because you can really get an idea of what a person's about. That's right. And that's too bad. Yeah. I, I, do you think Pence, he acts like he's running for president. Do you think he's running? Oh, he's running, sure. Yeah. Sure he is. Well, and so is DeSantis, who I think is a frightening figure. So we have to be really careful who we who we put in office for this mm-hmm. coming. So, what words of wisdom oh, yeah. do you have for us? We only have one minute left. What words of wisdom do you have for our voters? What should they be watching for? Well, um, preserve democracy. Yeah. If we don't preserve democracy, um, our children will be slaves. True that to that i want to thank you for coming on uh and answering my email i was so intrigued when i watched unfit and then i've been reading rocket man and in your other book here a little (laughs) craziness and it's fascinating it's absolutely fascinating to hear what everybody has to say because there's there's several authors in rocket man to hear what they all have to say about the same topic so thank you and thank you for reaching out thank you for having me And enjoy your weekend. Until next week, everybody, shop local, stay safe.